not sure what version that was, but it was great. Hey guys, thanks for coming tonight. Um, so we're going to dive in. After last week, we kind of did our introduction and people came back. So, I mean, that's <laughs> a good sign to start with. Um, we're going to be in uh, continuing in our study of the life of Jesus. Um, last year, if you were with us, we, we went very slowly through the life of Jesus. And um, we're going to start in John chapter 5 tonight, if you have your Bibles with you. Um, this is when Jesus heals the... Uh, lame man at the pool of Bethesda. So I'm going to start reading in John chapter 5, verse 1. And it reads, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Um, I'm going to stop there for just a moment because in studying this, um, and you might remember this in Bible college days when people were saying that, oh, that Bible's not true and you can't trust it because there's so many things that, you know, this... Bethesda didn't even exist and they kept saying for years and years that we can't find Bethesda It's not in Jerusalem There is no such place so that you know your Bible's not even true because there's things in it that don't exist Well sure enough they found, they found Bethesda. Bethesda and you know where they found it by the sheep gate Exactly right. as the Bible had been saying for right. years So that was one thing that you know they had to find something else like oops I guess we'll come up with something else to attack the Bible on well, they have. darn it we found Bethesda and that's another uh, attribute to the to the Bible's uh, authenticity that, that that it included details like that mm -hmm. that could have easily been right. disproven so and Luke was infamous for that including in his uh, writings the the names of the procurates the where they were details of the harbors that he was in, things like that. If you're writing a fable, you don't include a lot of details that can be disproven. Yeah, Just that was, right and this was one of them. Another one was Pontius Pilate. They said, this Pontius Pilate doesn't exist. We have no legal document or record of any form that there is anybody even named Pontius Pilate. Well, then sure enough, they found something yeah. with Pontius Pilate, you know, all well, over it. It was just the end of last year. They found a ring with his insignia on it mm -hmm. in a place where they believed he lived. And that, we talked about that last year, too, is science catching up with no. Christianity. With the scriptures, yeah. All right, so we'll keep going, and this is John chapter 5, verse 3. And in these, meaning the porches, lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, all waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, and stirring up the water, whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and he knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. We'll stop there for now. Um, so a few things with this, and I, the nurse and me can't help but just imagine, uh, if you had a, a healing pool, which it could have been, they thought, maybe like a hot spring, something, you know, where you, they didn't have a lot of medicine, and if it bubbled up and got really hot, if you had some kind of, you know, something could, that heat and the hot and the water could have healed people. Um, but they didn't have much. And so you can imagine how many people, you've got the people that can't see, the people that can't walk, and the people that can't move, and they're all just surrounding this pool. It was probably not the cleanest place. It probably wasn't the place that smelled the best. It was probably crowded, kind of, you know, we're not looking, we're not thinking of some resort poolside hot spring. This was probably pretty filthy. I mean, I've got to imagine, am I wrong? No way, I mean, 
because again, there was a multitude there. It says a multitude. It didn't say a handful of people were right. laying around this pool. Right. So, and then you think about Jesus. Here he comes. And what does he do? What he always does, he'll get in the middle of a mess. Right. And, you know, you've got people, they're holding on to hope. They're wanting something to happen. And he chooses this man. Um, and we don't know why. Maybe because he had been there the longest. Right. Maybe because. 38 years. And how long was the life expectancy in this time? Oh. 40 something yeah, years, right. probably. Yeah, 40. I, I mean, it's got a couple years left. Someone that's got a handicap, you know. And so he'd been laying there for 38 years. And again, you know, maybe his parents are gone. He has no way to be helped into the water. He clearly has no one around him. And again, if somebody has laid in the same spot for a very long time, I don't know. Was there somebody coming to change his bed and linens and laying in your own? You know, Phil, somebody had mm -hmm. to be feeding him, but you can't imagine that it was a really very pretty sight. The, the likelihood for, let's just say 50% of them, was that their families would bring them and take them home, bring them take them home. Then the other people that, that were destitute, that like what you're saying is absolutely correct, uh, not too unsimilar to what's going on in L.A. and San Francisco and the such, it, it just piles up. You know, and the such, but because there's other instances in the Bible where a family would bring a lame person to a place to beg, uh, and, and because that that was a part of that was actually built into the custom and the system that it was expected, if you will. You know, we we see these folks out, and we call them panhandlers. Uh, well, that that's really not a part of our system. You know, whereas in the Jewish days, it, it was. And, and they that was basically their work ethic. They couldn't do anything else. They couldn't go to the grapevines and such of that nature. So they could sit there and they could say, please help me in my plight. Uh, and that th those monies would not go to that person, obviously. It would go to the family to meet that person's needs. And so here we have this person um, amongst a multitude, and um, Jesus walks right in the middle of what I can only imagine is, is kind of filthy. I, I don't imagine it being a pretty sight. Um, and he walks up to the man, and um, I've heard this sermon from James McDonald. I've listened to it literally six times at least. And Jesus poses the question, do you want to be made well? And wouldn't you think the obvious answer would be <laughs> like, well, yeah. yeah. No, I'm good. Make me well. <laughs> Heck yeah, yeah. Uh, but then he kind of gets a little deeper. He's been laying there for 38 years. He's had no one. And he even says that, like, well, do you want to be made well? And immediately he says, well, you know, this whole explanation. I, I don't have yeah. anybody to help me. I want to get in, but I can't. And, and Jesus is asking, do you even want to be healed? Right. Do you even at this point, life expectancy of the days in 40-something years? And he's been laying there. And. Um, how Pastor James said it was, you know, in the first year, how many times did he see people get in the water and he, he just kept laying there? You know, in the second year, in the third, in the for 10 years, like at what point did he just lose hope and I'm not getting in that water? Nobody's helping me. I'm not going to get in. I'm not going to be healed. Do I even care if I'm healed? Do I even care anymore? And I th can you see that in our spiritual life at some times? Uh, a good question is, you know, like, I, I want to have my pet sin, but I want to be closer to God. I want to, you know, have financial peace, but I want my impulse buys. I want to be a good spouse, but I want to keep being selfish. 
I, want, I want my have victim a... status, but I want the power that I can get. I want my victim status, and I'm going to hang on to the power that I can with that and be victorious. It's a legitimate question. Do you want to be healed? Some people want to wallow in their mess. Nope. They yeah. just want to stay in their I want my I want my pets in. I, I want my pets in. And Jesus is asking, do you want to do you want to be healed? Do you want to let that go? Do you really? Can you see? I, I can see the comparison. I can see it in myself. I, I'm sure we um, if we're all being honest right now, we would think, yeah, I, I can see that. And do do I want to be healed or do I want to keep hanging on to this? And I think that goes right along with the whole thing of uh, you can determine what your bottom is. Uh, you know, everybody says about whether it's, uh, uh, if you will, uh, substance abuse and things of that nature or just your pet sin. The common thing is, is that, well, you haven't hit bottom yet. Okay. And I agree with that, but it's my humble opinion that we can determine what our bottom is. Uh, and, and because I can't speak for anyone else as much as in, in situations like that where I'm struggling, I'll start losing things because of poor choices and the such. And I'll realize I don't have to go all the way to bottom. I don't have to lose the wife or the kids, the, the job. I don't have to do all that. I can determine this is as low as I'm going mm-hmm. in this sin. I'm done. Yeah. And, and that's your bottom. And, and, of course, that's all through Christ. It's not anything I'm, you know, and, and isn't that funny about Jesus? We, we think we're doing it. In reality, it's Jesus doing it through us uh, and the such. This guy's a perfect example. Yeah, no doubt. Jesus did it yeah, for him. Yeah, he did it. Yeah. Well, and I think if, if you hit rock bottom in here, it doesn't matter physically where you're at. You no know, doubt. this can outweigh your you physical condition. It. So that's right. That's right. And 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 I think and that, you know the quote unquote power of the mind. You you draw the line and say, I'm done, uh, and 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 turn to Christ, obviously, and, and he'll he'll take you up from there. So another point that um, we drew out of this is Jesus says to him, "Rise, take up your bed, and walk." Um, and immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. So we talked about when we went over the healing of leprosy when, and how leprosy wasn't just a skin condition. It ate away at the fingers. It eroded the sight. I mean, it was a it was horrific disease. And when Jesus healed, he didn't just, you know, okay, now you're going to need to report to physical therapy for a while. <laughs> you know, he was made well. And I can only imagine somebody laying there for however many years. Let's just imagine maybe it was 38 full years that he was not able to walk. He would have had sores. His muscles would have been atrophied. He would have not. I mean, uh, on a good day, I can jump out of bed and still be dizzy. And he jumps up and stands up and walks. And he was made like how Jesus healed everyone, complete. He was made complete. Um, So you would expect him to say, rise and walk. But he also says, take up your bed. Any thoughts? Why take up your bed? Walk, rise, that makes sense. Walk, that makes sense. Take up your bed. It's the only thing he owns. You know, it would be my thought. Uh, You're not going to need it there no more. That's exactly it. You're not coming back here. It was symbolic of you're done with this place. And that's what I was going to say, almost like a a memento of where you've been. You know, it's... Sure. Again, and it had to be... It had to be not so clean. It probably wasn't a sterile white sheet from a hospital. It was probably something pretty, uh, you know, he'd been on that bed for a long time. But Jesus said, do something symbolic here. Take that bed. For the first time, you're going to take the means that people have been bringing you here. You're going to be responsible for yourself. For the first time, you're taking up your, 
I, I guess the, the ambulance or what the uh, stretcher that you've been carried in on? That was the one thing with all, all cases of Christ healing people, like the woman at the well, we showed the video pre-Easter walk, and this lady had suffered for wounds for over 10 years, and he just, in an instant, the short time he was with her changed her entire life. And just like this guy, 38 years, just one encounter with Jesus and a few words, he was changed for the rest of his life. Probably didn't even think about that past because he has so much more to look forward to. And that's what excites me about stories like this is people that think, oh, I've been so bad for 40 years or 50 years. One conversation with Christ in 2019 can change your life. And all he did was respond. Right. That's all he did. That, that, and that's all we can do is, is respond. Because he had the choice to say, get out of here, buddy. You know? <laughs> Something that... Uh, I'm making a good living here. Man. Right, yeah. <laughs> Warren Wiersbe said was essentially... That uh, and I'm trying to find it in my notes here. Um, he healed the man with his spoken word. He commanded the man to do the very thing that the man was unable to do. But in his command was the power of fulfillment. And if you if you let that sink in, the only reason that that man was able to stand up is because Jesus told him to. And he, and, and and like you said, he was completely, totally, wholly healed once Jesus said, arise. And, and, and I'm sure that, that he felt that power come in him, you know, because, you know, yeah. you know when your muscles are there and when they're not. He was the miniature version of the Hulk. In essence. That's, muscles that's right. up. And Jesus can still do that today. You and bet. I have a great, um, I wish I could bring my boss here to tell his testimony because it is so powerful, but he talks about how he was in the drug culture. He just mm. was. Uh, in college, he, you know, was raised in a Christian kind of church attending home, but he got into drugs. He just did, and he, it, he goes, it had me. It had me good. Mm. And he grew up in Memphis. He'd gone home, went to Adrian Rogers Church, and on a Sunday night, he said, I was in the back on a Sunday night, and he said, I was saved. And in that moment, mm. he said, I prayed that I could be freed of this drug addiction, and he said, I was. I was freed that night. And it's not that easy for everyone. And he said, and honestly, I've prayed for God to free me from other things and lust and you name I've been, he said, but in that moment, I was freed. Amen. I've heard, uh, just when we started talking about this as a topic, or this is the next phase, uh, section of Jesus' life, I, I was trying to remember the, the details of a sermon that I heard long ago. And this instance is one of the, one of the best, most refined pictures of salvation um, and I couldn't remember all the details, but the, this instance in Jesus's ministry seems to be one of the only times he's not interrupted by something that, that becomes written in Scripture. This almost seems like this person is a destination. It's not, written, not necessarily proof of that, but it seems like Jesus walks into this Pool of Salome area on purpose. And then he said, when he sees this guy and learns that he's been there for 38 years, and he walks past many other pe people to this guy. A multitude. It's it's a it's a picture of Christ coming to us. We don't come to him, and the confession that we we finally come to spiritually when we reach our bottom, and say, God, I can't do it. There's no, there's nobody to help me. That's the picture of salvation. Yes, you're not able to do this on your own in your flesh. You're not able to uh, enjoy life, spiritual life, abundant life, and this has really been a I was trying to remember all the details, but that's a really poignant picture of this particular instance in his life. Jesus wasn't it. This was a destination for him, and he, he
he did everything for this man and then gave him the command to fulfill his ultimate spiritual destination as well. Because he didn't know who Jesus was. This man wasn't right. looking for Jesus. He right. didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus came to him and couldn't did go everything to Jesus, for him. Couldn't and and yeah. what an important point on your witness to other people because that guy was probably one of the worst of the worst that are in there. And so somebody with a withered hand or, you know, couldn't hear something, they're like, my problems are nothing compared to that guy's. And he was able to be cured by this Jesus. Something else that Warren Wiersbe said, uh, spiritually speaking, the nation of Israel was a nation of impotent people waiting hopelessly for something to happen. When Jesus asked if he wanted to be healed, he didn't say yes. He offered excuses. He had been in that condition for so long, his will was as paralyzed as his body. And that's what we get. We, we, we you know, like back to the, the muskie that bumps the glass so many times trying to get to the goldfish that, that he convinces himself, I'll never have another goldfish. You know, and then the glass is removed and they're swimming by his eyes, but he's already told himself, I'll never have another one. And if we're not careful as Christians and certainly as people, we tell ourselves, I'm never going to have what I should have or what I want to have. Never going to partake in the blessed life or the abundant life. I'm never going to have freedom. I'm never going to have freedom. I'm never going to get rid of I'm never going to be who God wants me to be. Right. Because I can't do it. And that's really the first step. First confession. Recognition is the first step of recovery. You're right. You're not, but God will. God can. And so just as a spoiler alert for next week, I'm going to finish this particular passage Um, starting in verse 9, And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore... Yes. (laughs) There should have been some music there. Uh, The Jews therefore said to him, Who has cured... Or said to him, Who was cured? It is the Sabbath. It is unlawful for you to carry your bed. I mean, oh my gosh! Like it's almost—it's it's almost funny. Like you're carrying they, your bed. I yeah. was—I've been laying on it for 38 years. It's the first time I've touched anything. All the scribes and Pharisees go, huh? Now what you know—you know they knew who healed him. Oh, they—I yeah. think by this point, if it doesn't say it, you can almost read between the lines. By this point, you know they knew about this Jesus. Yeah. They knew enough to keep an eye on him. They knew yeah. enough to know. Okay, there's there's a guy in town healing folks. That's and that's a supernatural healing. We gotta. Yeah, they knew. They asked him anyway, but right. I think they knew the answer. And he says, um, "He who made me well said to take up my bed and walk." And then they asked him, "Who is this man who said you take up your bed and walk?" But the one who was healed did not know who it was. So it says right there, he didn't know who Jesus was. Right. For Jesus had withdrawn, and a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him. See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Um, which, so was the man saved when he was healed? Jesus healed him. Was he saved? He was just healed, and he just kind of took his bed and walked. Well, and that's curious. That's probably another discussion. But, you know, many of the times when Jesus healed people, he'd say, tell nobody about this. Because right. they knew who he was. Well, this guy, Jesus just healed him and let him go. Well, no strings attached, right. basically. There's another point in this sermon that, we are supposed to tell other people. Right. <laughs> right. And the sermon, that you just brought back another point of that sermon I've been trying to remember for the last week. Well, and, and uh, at another point when he healed somebody, he said, your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and, and, and walk. And in this one he didn't. Warren Wiersbe does not necessarily believe that this particular person was saved. 
necessary because well, it, it just doesn't say. And he says to him, sin no more, lest a worse thing ha come upon right. you. And, you know, right. what could be worse than laying on a bed for 38 <laughs> years? Like, what could be worse than that? Well, hell. I right. mean, you know, that's what Forever. ultimately, right. yeah. So that would make, hell would make laying next to that pool look like a vacation. No doubt. But uh, the spoiler alert for next week is Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And we're going to talk a little more about why that was a big deal. Scandalous. It was, it was quite the scandal. So <laughs> we're going to dig into that a little deeper. Um, so that's it on our discussion tonight. I'd love to hear any comments or questions. Text those in. Uh, we're going to take a little break like we do between topics. And instead of I'm just saying, I posed a question to the panel. I heard this on the radio, and it really made me laugh. When you were a kid, like the ultimate birthday party, imagine what that would have been. Like your kid birthday. Like for me, it would have been a Chuck E. Cheese birthday. It would have been like, oh, my gosh, I had a birthday at Chuck E. Cheese. Showbiz Pizza. Then. Oh, yeah. Showbiz Pizza. It <laughs> was. That's what it was. robots. Yeah. Well, the robots are still there. You yeah. and I were having children when Chuck E. Cheese started. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, some of my kids had the ultimate yeah. birthday. Yeah. yeah. Chuck E. Cheese. So my question is, as an adult, if you could have your birthday party, what would be your adult Chuck E. Cheese showbiz pizza birthday? Like, where would your place be? And, and so let's have a little fun before we say that. All right. Where do you think we're going to say? <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you think See, we're going to say? I'm thinking, like, Lowe's or, you know, like a deer stand. <laughs> That's what I was thinking along those lines. Okay. My dad would be like a meat processing plant. Right. <laughs> so my, because, you know, you said party, so I'm thinking more than one person. Yeah, yeah. So deer stands You're inviting your friends. Right, right, right. So my thought would be, and I, I'm sure we've got some here in St. Louis, but I've never been to one. It started with my brother. My brother went several times, and he would always tell me. There was this restaurant in Arkansas, that Little Rock, that you would go, and they would have the steaks on display. You would pick your steak, and you would go to the grill and you would oh, cook yeah. it. The old 96er? <laughs> is, is that, is that no, a restaurant? Isn't that that huge steak from... Uh, oh, no, no, no. It would <laughs> be a 16-ounce yeah. or, okay. or whatever. But but uh, to me, that would be the ultimate oh, birthday okay. party. Me and four or five meat eaters would go and we would get our you know 24-ounce steak or whatever and cook it to our perfection and go to the table. And so it would it. be supervised so they wouldn't let us burn it? <laughs> it would be supervised, I'm sure. Uh, I've always thought it'd be fun for each guy to come to a party with a grinder you bring your one pound of meat you grind it and you make your ultimate pub oh. quotations uh, burger you know because supposedly the pubs make the best burgers so you're gonna I have wouldn't a, know a meat-centered birthday party that's right okay that's right okay go ahead Gavin My, mine would be a three-day sale so a weekend sale in San Juan Islands just go out to an island S-A-I-L S-A-I-L not S-A-L-E well that's no. what I was trying to yeah. figure out what do they got at San Juan we're gonna have to listen to a sales pitch of some form to afford that Gavin I'm just gonna throw that out there so, so a sales pitch as for for this have you ever been up it's in the Washington uh, area no. the was it's between Washington and Canada there's a oh, string of islands no 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 Washington State <laughs> on the Missouri River and, and, and it's uh it's just beautiful up there it's peaceful you could go you could go out to an island that's not very well uh, populated you could camp in a it's just an uh, amazing oh, area yeah even on oh, a cow they got a picture of your birthday party right there who would have thought Tom, where's yours? Is it is it Lowe's? Is it Six Flags? Six Flags would be good. My, I'm, I must still be a big kid because I've always wanted, still to this day, a Ninja Warrior themed birthday. <laughs> you know, and have like the course. But then I was like, all us, you know, like 
I'm an assistant coach of a football team, and we did like two plays, and I was choking for breath. So I was like, so it'd be fun for like five <laughs> minutes, but half my friends and myself couldn't do that. But then like to have like a monster truck course, and you could yeah. drive monster trucks and crush oh, yeah. a bunch of cars. And then in Vegas, see, you could do all this in Vegas. They have an actual place where you can rent the biggest machinery on earth and like dig holes and smash trucks and now stuff. Now we're yeah. talking. Yeah, just, just to be a big So that actually man. exists. Yeah, it does. Figures. Yep. I had one, and then uh, this week, well, I was going to say Elephant Rock, because I just love that place, but uh, and do like a hiking birthday, but uh, over the weekend, we went to a PBR, do you know what that is, professional bull riding yes, thing, with yes, my yes. dad for his birthday, cool. and it was so painfully cool, I'm like, you know what, I could do this for my birthday, Th I'm going <laughs> to the next PBR thing that shows up locally, we are going, it was that much fun, it like changed my mind about my hiking birthday all together. It's funny that you say that, because... Uh, there's a well-known, popular, professional announcer, and he works for PBR, but he also works for the Monster Truck, and he's the guy that said... And this guy needs to come to my birthday. I know. <laughs> you can rent the seat, but you will only need the edge. I just love that. That's what I love the, that. I did not know bulls could jump that high. Oh Who would have thought? The freaks of nature. Yeah. 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 Athletes. So Bulls it was so cool. Athletes. It was so, I'm not, uh, Until they step on your face. I'm not, uh, for sure. I'm not a country girl, but I'm not a city girl, but I'm telling you, small town girl, like as my small town, stupid, like my t-shirt says, but I'm oh telling my you, gosh, it was I have so used fun. that so much this week. I, I Somebody will say on. something. I'll go, that's small town, stupid. That's right going to be on a bumper sticker and I will get no royalties for that. <laughs> One of my more brilliant moments. And I've here. met a bunch of people this week that are. Small town stupid, but nonetheless. Amen. All right. They're so, lovable. Uh, so if you've met our pastor this week, please send your letters, Carol. I can tell you one of them. <laughs> Direct your emails accordingly. I I Spent a whole day with him Saturday. <laughs> All right. So our next topic um, comes off of, we referenced this website, The Blaze. It has local, uh, not local, excuse me, world Christian news, though. Um and the headline for September 18th reads, California lawmakers pass resolution calling on all religious groups, including Christians, to embrace LGBTQ worldview. Um, before we dive into this too much, I always feel like I want to say that this is not like a LGBTQ hater no. conversation. This yeah, is for sure. This is like love, love like you would love anybody that needs to come to Christ. It, it's, it's not that kind of discussion at all. I feel like I always want to say that, that it's not an issue with being judgmental. It's a, it's a, there, anybody in issue any group or yeah. category um, needs Jesus as much as every single one of us. And, and that's the point that I wanted to make before we dove in any deeper. Well, and it's a worldview approach. I mean, cause, cause now they're trying to force us to bow, if you will, to the LGBTQ worldview. And the reason we will not do that is because of our worldview. And our worldview comes from Scripture. Go ahead. Well, and it says, even if, um, even if the LGBTQ worldview contradicts with moral values of the relig religious group, they're supposed to, like you said, bow to that. Um, and I guess my question was, is there a, it's on, like, what does this law include? In so, so, so at this point, it's a resolution. And um, I, did I send you mm -hmm. the other one that, that basically, I think the other one that I sent you says it better than this, the first one I sent you. So the, the second one that I sent you basically says 
that it, this is a non-binding, non-legal. It, it is strictly the California Senate's <laughs> encouragement because probably a law is coming sooner or later. And, and, and they're trying to pave the way. You know, you look at that wording. Telling Christian clergy to accept and support LGBTQ ideology. If they would have stopped at LGBTQ, we're already yeah, come doing it. Yeah, come on we're, in. We're, we're, we're already doing it. Doors that. are open. We right. love you. We, 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 you know, c come on you, in. You've seen the, the little phrase that uh, Kay, has, Kay says on her gas pumps now? Don't, I, it's not my place to judge you for sinning differently than me. Yeah, that's right. Same, same way exactly, here. That's right. exactly so. what it is. But then, you know, to throw in the word ideology, so, so now we have to accept and support what they say about their lifestyle, uh, and even if doing so violates our Christian beliefs. Well, this is about as un-American as you can be. I mean, uh, uh, the only reason, if you will, that LGBTQ is enjoying the freedom that they have is because of America's right. system you of freedom. try that in Pakistan or Iraq. No you doubt. Throw it off a building. Russia. No Literally. doubt. Literally. Yeah. Killed. Yeah. You, you, the, the, and, so anyway, uh, I, I you know, I've been lovingly sounding the warning signals for, for years uh, that this was coming. No constitutional right will stand against the right of a sinner being approved in their sin as long as God is not the ruler of the land. So you and I right now presently have the constitutional right that we can say whether on a microphone or personally, I disagree with lesbians, I disagree with homosexuality, I believe that it is a lifestyle that's outside of the bounds of God's word. I have the constitutional right to say that. But that right will not stand against the right of a sinner that demands to be approved in their sin. And that's exactly what this is doing. They are forcing us essentially to say, you're right. Whatever you want to say, you're right. But I don't have the freedom now to say whatever I want to say. And, and, and that, you know, so, so now we are in a, a, a tyrannical government type thing if it, if it gets to a law. Now, one of you said, well, it'll never pass the Supreme Court. And I agree with that. Right, right now, the way things are set up, I believe just like, because, you know, we, we won in Arizona uh, the other day because two ladies who were in a, a business uh, were being forced to support a, a lesbian wedding or whatever the case may be. And the uh, Arizona Supreme Court said, no, you, you can't do that, you know. So I, I think that it's going to play out for a long time in the courts. But we can't imagine what those two ladies have had to do on a financial level, you know, for the last several years. Well, they've been out of business. Battling, right, yeah, battling just that. Yeah, essentially out of business. And there's some r really important to think about the cases and think this true because this is the first time when the when the uh, same-sex marriage thing was pushed through to the Supreme Court and really ramrodded through. A lot of things got left behind that weren't really discussed. And I'm just going to use the Colorado Baker as a perfect example of this because we're not the, the the argument that they're making is we're discriminating, and that's not the case. When you're discriminating against an individual, that's one thing. When you're discriminating against an individual's behavior, that's a different thing. 
Um, so if you're discriminating against someone for their sex, that should be wrong, or their race, that should be wrong. But when you're the, for the same person, the, a, person a lady that comes in to, and this is what happened to uh, Jack Phillips, the baker in Colorado, a gay man came in, was a regular patron of that bakery. Had never been discriminated Never against. been turned away. Treated nicely. Never been turned away. The whole away. nine yards. He asked Jack to make a wedding cake for him. He said, I can't participate in that activity. So Jack has never, never uh, discriminated against that individual until he asked him to participate in something that was against his conscience. You just can't do that. It's very important. It's not an individual that you're discriminating against. It's a behavior. behavior. And it doesn't matter if you or my, my close relative, whoever it is, I'm going to love them and, and serve them to the best of my ability, but when you ask me to participate in something that I disagree with, you're committing the wrong, not me. Well, and that's what I was thinking in all of this is with the whole LGBTQ, um, the push is for us to say it's okay and it's fine. Um, but I was thinking about, I, we have a loved one that um, had a struggle with heroin, it's just the truth, and uh, we love her. We love her greatly, but we're not going to say, that's keep okay. using the heroin, it's good for you. Just, that's you. fine, you wanna do it, it makes you feel good, it makes you happy, keep doing it. You, like Ben says, you have to love someone enough to say that's destructive. And part of this legislation is that um, among LGBTQ individuals, they have a disproportionately, quote, high rate of suicide, attempted suicide, depression, rejection, and isolation. That's our fault. And they are blaming religious groups right. for that, saying the, re the resolution blames religious groups, quote, for causing high rates of harm and isolation among LGBTQ community. I, I think there's something to that, though, because I, I truly believe, and as we all believe, God placed something inside of all of these people. And I think inherently there would be probably a million people that would argue with me, but I think they know what they're doing is wrong or it's outside of the boundaries of natural law, and they want the flesh, humans, to tell them what they're doing is okay. And that's why they're having these struggles, and, and they just because nothing else is telling them, not even themselves, this is okay. So if we can convince our flesh, it's okay. You do what you want to do, then they feel better. But they're not getting that, so that's why they're attacking the people that they, they're attacking faith. We just fall in that faith category because that's what's convicting them in their sin, and they just can't get over that. I heard a statistic that 33% of men that complete a sex change operation, 31 to 33% commit suicide. And um, the person giving this statistic said, doctors performing this kind of surgery should be in prison because you are knowingly doing something that leads to a 33% suicide rate. You're participating in what will lead to suicide willingly. And the problem therein is not, I feel like there's underlying issues that led to this lifestyle in the first place, which also leads to probably the depression and isolation and attempt to Fundamental suicide. rejection of self. Yeah. If you, uh, so I don't know if I sent this to you, but there is a, a companioning story, which of course is the opposite of what that story is, and it's something that we support. The two people that, two of the people that survived the Pulse nightclub shooting uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, the, uh, yep. I mean, it was in Florida, a homosexual it was a, yeah. nightclub. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's where they went to meet other people like themselves, if you will. Um, 
they, they survived it. Through that situation, they came to Christ. They have, as a result, overcome their same-sex attraction. And now they're trying to find other people like themselves to support them and the such. And they actually have a, a get-together once a year in Florida. I, for the life of me, can't think of the name of it. But this, this is the type of news that you're not going to hear on CNN right. or MSNBC. And this is the type of, it, it makes the LGBTQ crowd just shriek in pain to know that there are people who, as Gavin has said, have actually embraced who they truly are. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and they've quit denying those God-given uh, realities and urges and, and things. And, and, and they're going on to be heterosexual. They're going on to have uh, lifelong relationships with opposite sex and, and such of that nature. So, you know, and, and I just want to say this very quickly. I've kind of kept my fingers on the pulse of this. It's called conversion therapy. And the, Which this is directly, the they, they want you to shut that fighting down. fighting that. I mean, their face just gets all contorted when they say the words. Conversion therapy is simply a Bible teacher or a counselor or a parent saying, baby, I think you can have think you can overcome that and I think that through Christ and the Word of God you can be who you were created to be they don't want those words said anymore period right. in story but but uh, Bible leaders and teachers aren't going and shackling these people and dragging no, them they're in. coming no. to yes. them for help and right. so they're trying to fight avenues just like a drug uh, rehab program it's right. like you want to shut that down too you know right. these people are willingly coming they just don't want us to say look you don't like yeah, this. Yeah, you, you can, can be free. It. They want you to continue to say, right. no, this is this is how God created you. Yeah, you're you. okay. You were created don't to come in here. Yeah, you're okay. And that was something um, at teen conference, one of the things the speaker said was that God wouldn't create someone homosexual and then say it's wrong to be homosexual. That would be like saying he created someone to be a murderer and then said it's wrong to murder. That's not how our God works. He didn't create people in the womb to be a murderer. A homosexual, uh, fill in the blank. Whatever right. it says very specifically in the Bible yeah, a is drunk, wrong. A liar, he didn't a cheat, create us you know, that way. Yeah. Um, so he wouldn't say, "Don't do this," and then create someone to be that way. So well, I'm sorry, oh, go, go, go ahead. You, you've been waiting too. So oh, well, I, I'll make it quick. I heard something, and it was about like eating disorders and heart problems, and they say a lot of it's genetics. And I, I read an article about it. Said no. It's you've learned those habits from your peers and your parents, and that we fall into. Oh, it's I'm, I'm an alcoholic because my mom and dad were. No, it's because you, from an infant till 16 years old, you saw your. Dysfunctional. Yeah, and there was a lot to it. Now, I know there's heart stuff and sure. all that, but I think, like you said, there's underlying things for a lot of these people, and it's the environments that they grew up in, and it's usually the lack of we, faith. And it, it is part of our sin nature. It's, it's all of us have a propensity to do something that's self destructive. The danger becomes when we say that we can't control it. In this particular instance, in the, in the homosexual lifestyle, what we've said as this behavior is, you cannot discriminate against this behavior because this person was made, born this way to do right. that. What does that do to the justice system? Yeah. Well, a, a murder can make the same claim, and I'm That's not right. trying to equate the same, the homosexual lifestyle with murder or you know, you put whatever in that blank. Sin. Yeah. Something that's self-destructive or harmful to the people right. around us. Sin. And, and yeah. the, like, Westboro Baptist Church. 
we all remember them, yeah, you know, out of Kansas. Know. It's always like, oh, Holding geez. up their signs, gays are going to hell and yeah. this and that. And, and that's what tarnishes. And that's when you really got to define what is a Christian and what do the teachings say. Because somebody will see that on CNN and it tarnishes. Well, they don't see the local church around here. Like, doors are open, come on in. Right. We're here with love, we're not here with hate. Which I think is sometimes what we get wrong is people think it's about hating. It's not. It's love. And then, like Ben says, loving enough to tell the truth. But ultimately, we went over that. We had a video a while back. It was a short clip, and it was a girl's lifestyle that change. Tremendous. And um, and she says it's not gay to straight. It's lost to saved. Period. And that's Amen. it. Uh, and one thing I want to say, because I've come a long way in this particular uh, subject, if you will. I was raised that homosexuality was the worst thing that you could ever do. They wouldn't say this with their mouth, but what they communicated with their actions is I'd rather you sleep with a woman or get rip-roaring drunk than come up gay. That was what was communicated to me through adults and the church and my parents. Anything but that. What did we do as kids? We put a circle around that and said, that must be pretty dang good. If my parents don't want me to do it that bad, it must be pretty good. And so, in my humble opinion, it almost became a self-fulfilling prophecy that we so berated our kids in the such, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, that we created an insatiable desire to see what's, what it's all about. And so, in my own upbringing with my kids, I've tried to change that. Right. It's a sin. It's simply a sin. If you find yourself, and I'm talking to anybody and everybody, if you find yourself having same-sex attraction, yes, it is normal from the standpoint that it's sin. It's normal for you and I to struggle with sin. Is it normal from the standpoint of how God designed us? Absolutely not. And, and that's where you start with this is why you should fight it. This is why you should avoid it because you're going to bring potentially a special kind of of destruction upon yourself if you don't stay away from it. Just the same way that you will destroy your marriage if you give in to adultery. Just the same way you will destroy your health if you give in to uh, substance abuse and the such. It's a sin. And so, in my humble opinion, we've got to take the stigma away that this is the worst sin it can be. Because, I mean, we can say that on just about anything, you know, if you right. take it to the extreme, you know. Um, so anyway, uh, th th that's just my two cents on what I feel like that I've learned in this particular area. Uh, and, and I can't stress enough what Tara has said that we absolutely love. I mean, whatever your sin is, we love you, you know. Uh, and that's why we started CR, was to help folks that struggle foundationally, you know, with those types of struggles. And, and we all do to some level. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Amen. All right. So our third topic tonight um, and when Ben sent me the topic, my first thought was, oh, and I didn't bring those doctrinal Boring stuff. things matter. Boring <laughs> things matter. You Maybe we should have started it. out with this one. I hope we're not losing, folks. Um, we can come up with a story or something. No, wait, this is, is going to be good. Um, and it is important. I mean, in all honesty, this is an important thing to discuss. Um, it's on church doctrine statements. And... Um, I can remember, you know, I've heard my dad say things like, that church has a big problem with their doctrine. 
And I, you know, as a kid, like, well, what the heck is that? Um, so Sound we're going to start with that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what is a. <laughs> where, where, where's my doctrinette? No, <laughs> I've got to get that my spleen. Out. Where is it? My All right. So, what is a doctrine statement? So, uh, uh, l let me back up just for a second. We handed out papers at our last year's last meeting, and I asked everybody that was there, some of you were present, what would you like us to talk about? And this was essentially at the top of the list. Not because it was the top of the list of everybody's thoughts. Church was at the top of the list. And so under church, somebody wrote doctrine. You know, what does it mean? What is it about? Why is it important? So that's why we're even talking. Because yeah. we're, we're going to give one segment a week, essentially, to those topics that you gave us last year. And so we're so thankful for that. So a doctrinal statement is simply a church's explanation as to what they believe that this book says. A theological definition is the teachings of Christ. That's what a doctrine is. The teachings of Christ. So that when anyone says, and it became a popular thing uh, when I was in college, for churches and for sure singing groups to downplay the importance of doctrine. And they, they would even say, well, we're not going to get all, you know, we're not going to get all into that deep doctrine stuff. That's for all of those boring people. And they really made it uncool to talk about doctrine. And it wasn't until I heard a person say that, and he asked me, so Ben, what is a doctrine? I'm like, Dude, I don't know. <laughs> that's not what the cool kids talk that's about. Right, that's right. And he said, it's the teachings of Christ. Do you think they're important? There's mm, nothing more important. Maybe. You, you really can't overstate the importance of doctrine. Uh, the doctrine is in the Great Commission. Teach them whatsoever I have commanded the teachings of Christ. So that's the answer to the first question. So next question then. Um, why does a doctrinal statement matter? Like, why does a church need to have a, a doctrine statement? Why does that matter to churchgoers? Or um, why bother? It never ceases to amaze. Uh, and I'm, I'm obviously not talking about the people that are in here. But for a parent to, quote, unquote, drop their child off without doing some level of investigation... It may even be that, well, my friend takes their side. I trust my friend. I'm good with that. I truly am good with that. But if it's a sight unseen, you just showed up and you don't know anything about that church, you need to ask that pastor, could you please show me a doctrinal statement? And what I tell the young people here, because, you know, our young people, they're probably going to go to college. They're probably going to go to another area of the state or the, the world. And hopefully they're going to go to church when they go there. They need to go to that pastor and say, I'd like to know what you believe. If he sits there and stammers and stutters and can't come up with a doctrine, you need to go check it out in another church. If he says, give me a second, and, and produces a doctrinal statement, then, then you're probably okay. But the importance of it is you're going to find out now, do they believe what you believe? And that is so important. You need to determine what do you believe. Do you believe in the Trinity? What is that? It's a doctrine. Do you believe in the virgin birth of Christ? It 
It's a doctrine. It's teaching in Once Christ. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Where do you stand on uh, speaking in tongues? And, I mean, we could go right down the line. And these are all important things. Now, watch this. You may be thinking, well, but I, you know, I know what I believe and I'm solid. But your kids, right? your kids are listening. They're being taught by this church. And in my humble opinion, there's nothing more formidable, that means powerful, than a pastor saying the same thing, a youth director saying the same thing, a Sunday school teacher saying the same thing, and here it is, and the parents saying the same thing at home. When you, when that kid hears each yeah. one of those folks saying the same thing, well, they're gum. Yeah. <laughs> Must know, be true. Yeah, it's like these people got together. <laughs> you know, this is on purpose. It's like they've got some statements. Yeah, somewhere. That's right. and, and they will call you out immediately when they hear something contrary. Right. Now, a, a naive question out of ignorance: How different should a doctrine to a covenant be, or are they? Could, is the covenant like the the QuickBooks view of the doctrine? Sure. So the, the, the covenant is a, essentially, it, it's a promise that I am going to behave as a church member in this way. And this way is going to, it's called the manner of life. Uh, the, another word is conversation. And so when the Bible says manner of life or conversation, it's talking about your daily conduct. And so that covenant represents our promise that our daily conduct is going to represent this Bible. Well, and the reason why I ask that, because a real-life situation, my kids loved our VBS so much, they wanted to go to another church's VBS, and I, I'm not going to tell them no. Sure. So I took them, and the first thing I did is I walked up to their covenant, and I read it. It was like, it's the same one as this one. Sure. So it made me feel better. I never even thought about going to ask about a doctrine, but I looked at their covenant, yeah. and that gave me peace that they believe at least close enough for me to allow yeah. my children to go there. Amen. So would you say... Um, you know, there's a lot of churches now that are not very traditional and, um, you know, they don't look, feel, or sound traditional. Um, are a lot of these churches, do they have a doctrine? Do they have a doctrine statement? Do they, I mean, they might have a mission statement. Right. I, right. I don't know. And I, if, if so, should that be something that you're concerned <laughs> with? Like, yeah. well, they've got yes. no doctrine statement. Yeah. It, it, in my humble opinion, every church should have some sort of, and they, a lot of churches don't call it a doctrinal statement anymore. They call it a statement of beliefs. Our, our core values and things, and, th and I'm fine with all that. You know, what's the old saying? If you don't, uh, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. For anything yeah. uh, and, and so it, it's extremely important that a church values the Word of God enough that they have delineated, which means that, you know, point by point, this is what we believe to some level. I wrote this down. What you believe controls your actions. Your actions are dictated by your beliefs. And, and so a doctrinal statement absolutely helps you and I. Uh, for instance, what is the hottest topic right now when it comes to the, the world in general, when it comes to quote-unquote religion and going to heaven? The world, again, freaks out and turns inside out when someone says Jesus is the only way. Right. Because currently, well, there's all paths to heaven. Right. Anything can be a path all to heaven. All roads lead to heaven is what they love to say. You'll even find good, well-meaning religious people that will say, well, you know, all roads lead to heaven. No. Okay, Joel. No, they don't. Uh, one road what? leads to heaven. You're narrow-minded. I'm narrow-minded. Oh, my goodness. Just ask my wife. One road leads to heaven. 
and his name's Jesus. I heard a guy say, truth has a name, and his name is Jesus. That's from Gavin Hooks, the author. The uh, other, other way to look at that, well, you could say I'm narrow-minded, but you could also say that God made it incredibly easy. In the Garden of Eden, he made it incredibly easy to stay in the Garden of Eden. Don't eat of this tree. On the, on the flip side, there's only Don't yeah, eat of this tree. just that That's simple. And this, this side of the, the fall, there's, there's only one thing you need to do. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. You have one job. That's right. You have one job. It's easy. It's easy. God made it as easy as he could. You made a good point. A tagline or a quote or a a good word in front of a church. There's lots of churches. They got awesome taglines. I love them, but I don't believe 50% of what they believe. So, yeah, that's where you dig a little deeper into it. Well, and so, you know, I've told this story so many times. I'm I'm afraid I'm boring people with it. But uh, I went to work at a meat market at IGA in North Little Rock, Arkansas. And I was a fledgling adult, uh, 18, 19 years old, had started going to CBC, Central Baptist College, because my dad literally drove me to the college and dropped me off. True story. And I had not yet. This is where I live now. Survival. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you do? do? And uh, so I I hadn't surrendered to preach yet, was struggling with uh, rock and roll music. True story. And I just, you talk about everything going on in my head trying to figure life out. So I go to work for IGA, and who is my meat cutter that I'm working with eight hours a day? A Pentecostal preacher. And this guy was (laughs) something. And I mean, he didn't even lay eyes on me two seconds, and he knew that I was lost. He knew that I was lost. And I needed to get saved again. He knew that I had been saved because I told him at five years old, but, but dude, you're lost. I'm sorry. You need to get saved. And he worked on me eight hours a day. And so after about six weeks of that, I went to dad and said, I'm not sure that I believe what we believe anymore, I, and I need some help. And he said, well, here's some verses. You know, get started. You're 18 years old. It's, it's time for you to figure this out yourself. That's not what I wanted him to say. I wanted him to tell me, look here, boy. As long as you're in my house, you're going to behave and believe how I believe. He didn't do that. He said, it's time for you to dig it out yourself. And so out of that. He gave you free will. That's exactly right. Out of that comes this thought. I am Baptist not because uh, I believe what they believe. I am a Baptist because they believe what I believe. At that kitchen table at 603 Rose Lane, I determined over several weeks what I believed about God's word. I did believe that if you are truly saved, at any point in time in your life, you are saved for eternity. I, I came to that through the scripture, such of that nature. And, and all the doctrines that, you know, virgin birth, I, I came to that belief. Uh, and not because my dad told me. And I, Mike would even say, you're Baptist because your daddy's Baptist. I, I mean, it's, and, and he loved me. My, Mike was not trying to be mean to me. Mike was trying to save my soul. You know, he, he truly was trying to do what he felt he was supposed to do. But he was sincerely wrong. Well, and let's dive into that a little bit, because that is a big, that's a big one, um, how you have to be saved again and again. Because, I mean, we don't stop sinning. But I don't even think sometimes we sin, and we don't even know we've sinned enough to even for, ask, for, ask forgiveness for forgiveness for it. Right. So I've always thought, like, well, man, I mean, what if I've sinned? And I had a car accident, but I didn't even know that I'd sinned. Is that, I mean, is God so condemning that I'm going to go to hell because I had a thought and, and didn't have 30 seconds to repent of it, I would literally spend most of my thoughts being saved 
every single day. Like I'm talking multiple times a right. day if I'm being you know, humble enough to admit it. So after two years of that very discussion, after two years, I told Mike, once I finally got settled and I got bold, if you will, I told Mike, Mike, you're once saved, always saved. You just won't admit it. Because for one thing, Mike was a bigot. Oh, my goodness. Or he thinks that he yeah. just doesn't sin anymore. Right. Could be one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, I mean, Mike, I only sin Mike, like Mike once a, a month, so I only have to ask for but forgiveness. But according to Mike's belief, every time you sinned, you had to go to church, pray to receive Christ, get in the water, get baptized in Jesus' name. You couldn't say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wow. In Jesus' name and come out of the water speaking in tongues. Every time you got lost, you had to get saved <laughs> again. And I told you. Who could him, do that several times a day? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just live in the tub. I, I said, know. Mike, you, you don't really, yeah, amen. You don't really believe that because, bro, I'm, I'm here with you eight hours a day. You sin all the time. <laughs> Did you get saved last week? Well, you need to. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so anyway, uh, I, I'd love to, I don't Facebook, but I'd love to know what, what Mike's doing these days. He was a wonderful guy, but he was sincerely wrong. Larry is saying some churches do a feel-good church and some do biblical. True. Amen to that. And, uh, I, and let me tell you this. You know, I have people all the time coming up to me and saying, well, what do you think about so-and-so church? What, what do you think about what they're doing? And I, and I tell them, are you seeing people change? Are you seeing their lives change? Right. Yeah? Okay. For me, that, that's all I need to know. This person was once pointed this direction now they're pointed this direction and it's largely because of that church they're pointing them to do Jesus. some fruit inspection that's right that's exactly right uh now you know I, i'll tell you straight up i don't have any problem with telling you avoid benny hen like the plague <laughs> avoid him like the plague because benny hen in my humble opinion is a false teacher he's a false teacher and, and that's and your job to tell us that that's exactly truly. right but i say right. he's one of the few He's one of the few because, uh, and I, we won't go into it here, but I have a personal experience that I can tell you that I, I know he's a false teacher. Now, please don't get me wrong. I hope Benny Hinn gets saved tonight and, and it'll all be good. But uh, when, when you proclaim that you can heal people and you go to the Coliseum and charge money for people to come and get healed, I struggle with that. And if you truly have the gift of healing, you need to go to the hospitals, you need to go to the nursing right. homes, and let, let's see it, man. Let's see it. What was that man in the 80s that had the earpiece? Yeah. And he used to do that, and they, they would research the people, and the guy's wife would talk to him through his earpiece. This is Margie. She Tilton? Has was it Richard Tilton? Yeah, but he got, he got discovered. Oh, yeah. yeah. They did yeah. make a movie of that. Yeah. What was his doctrine statement? Yeah. <laughs> somebody so should have checked that out first. If somebody is, yeah, that's a good way to end here is... Uh, if you're looking for a church, which I hope nobody is here, I hope you found your church, but when you're going to another church, you can't depend on the, we, I used to be able to know what to expect doctrinally by the denomination. You can't do that anymore. It's, it's different within a denomination. There'll be several different branches, different varieties, even within Methodist. So go and ask for a doctrinal statement yeah. or some kind of a document that states what they believe. And, and if, if you made me do my top five, I would say that they got to believe that this book is the inerrant Word of God. Uh, you know, we, we like to say here that the Word of God is our only rule for faith and practice. They need to believe that. They need to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They need to believe in eternal 
security. They need to believe in heaven and hell. Uh, and I don't know, what would five be? They, virgin they, birth, virgin birth? Yeah, yeah, right. Because everything hangs on that virgin birth. If he's not virgin born, he's not and God. I, I learned something in researching uh, doctrine, the word dogma. I'd always heard it. And it's, it's something that's believed but cannot be proven. Hmm. And I was like, you know, so there's a lot of faiths that believe things that sound good. They can't necessarily be proven. But right. It's I, dogma. It's not necessarily doctrine. Right. Hmm. All right. We're going to close in prayer tonight. Um, someone sent in a prayer request, and by all means, um, if you have a prayer request, send that in. There's no reason that we can't close in prayer every night and specifically um, lift something up. But, Ben, if you want to. Yeah, so this is, uh, if you know Jamie Frossard, and she is uh, very pregnant. Uh, she's just a, a month or so away from her due date. Uh, so Kenny requests, say some prayers. Jamie is having blood pressure issues. She's at the hospital now being monitored. They are trying to decide that whether or not to keep her. So. We're going to lift her up and uh, thank you guys. Again, this is not what it is without you. Uh, please use this to let other folks know. Uh, BethelLongdale.com. They can hear each one of these. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I love you. I thank you for uh, everyone gathered here tonight. I thank you, Father, for Awana, all of the wonderful workers and all the wonderful kids that are here. We pray, Lord, that you will help us uh, to be faithful to your commission and to your word. Lord, we've covered some pretty difficult topics tonight we pray most of all that we will show your love above all things uh, but certainly uh, balanced with your truth we pray lord that you will uh, minister to jamie we lay her on the altar of your mercy we beg father that she will have a safe and healthy pregnancy and delivery healthy baby healthy mama in accordance to thy will and we father we beg for your uh, direction in this situation in jesus name we ask it all amen amen yeah.